You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Our God is not only concerned with the powerful, only understood by scholars, only to be explained by priests, only offering guidance to kings. Our God is the defender of the poor, the savior of the powerless, the champion of the oppressed. This is why God says, if we dishonor the poor, we insult him. But if we are generous to the poor, we honor him. God knows about injustice. He knows all about suffering. He willingly suffered the ultimate injustice, the cross, dying for those who despised him taking a punishment he didn't deserve, willingly giving his life to save those who could not save themselves. And his desire is that we do the same for the poor, the powerless, the oppressed, in everything we do and say, reveal justice. Well, hey, Northside, last Sunday, we had 1,810 people celebrate with us the resurrected Savior, and uh, yeah, just grateful to be together in such a powerful way. And, and on that day, we had three baptisms, another in the afternoon. We had two on Wednesday night. You obviously saw one of them that was being talked about last week and some others that are being talked about. That's the journey that God has had us on. But here's something else I want to share. This is some great news. We had an Easter offering goal last week. This is above our normal just ties and, and offerings to the church. We had a special Easter offering goal where we were hoping that we could give $24,000 for to impact four continents, maybe more, four, maybe more with that Easter offering. And I just want to report today, not only did we exceed the goal, we more than doubled the goal. And as of today, we're almost at $53,000 that was given for Easter. Offering. I think you should celebrate. Woo! Praise God for what God did through that. And it's just evident to me because my mind was blown. It still is. I just can't believe it. And um, it just became so evident to me that God was in this. This doesn't just happen. You don't just do that unless God was wanting to use this. And it's so affirming to my spirit to know that, that God is in it and he wants to use it. That these initiatives that we're all about, that we wanted to do, I mean, over 12, at least $12,000 will rescue children in slavery in India through our partnership with Central India Christian Mission. At least $12,000 will go to the Ozark Christian College International Scholarship Fund to raise up and equip people to go back to share the gospel where they are. And there was a chunk of that that's going to be matched. And so we're excited about that. $3,000. 
uh, was given for Bibles in Brazil through our missionaries that are working there. And then 26,000 that's going to build churches in Kenya, Masailand, Kenya. Can we just celebrate what God is doing through that and just praise God? And I just want to take a moment and just express our gratitude to him because, Lord, we are humbled. We're filled with gratitude, but we're just humbled. What you can do when your church comes together. I mean, it's not even what I imagine. It just exceeds it. You're exceedingly generous. And I'm so grateful that your people here at Northside were so generous. And that God, we, I think, maybe just one of a few of the reasons why you bless us such a powerful way is we were aligned with your heart in things that you're doing. And Lord, when it comes to bringing justice to those who are in slavery, when it comes to building and advancing the kingdom of God through your church, the bride of Christ, and when it comes to raising up and equipping evangelists and pastors and teachers to go back to their homeland with the gospel, and and when it, when it comes to your word, God communicating the truth of your word, Lord, these were the things that beats with your heart. And God, we just want to thank you that we get to be a part of it. What an opportunity for us to partner with you and to be a part of what you're doing. And God, we thank you for that and pray that you will use these gifts to expand your kingdom and do the work that you want to do. I really believe that someday we're going to hear stories come out of this in some significant ways. Stories of a young girl or a young boy who was in slavery, who was freed, redeemed. And God, you did it. And we got to be a part of it. And so we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people say, amen. Well, if you're uh, joining us today, our church family, we've been in what we've called a year of Bible engagement. We're, we're reading through the Bible. And uh, I know quite a few of you are doing this because this week, maybe you noticed this, we went from 2 Kings to Isaiah. Are you one of those people that noticed that? Like it threw your whole, I know, some people quit their jobs, thought the Lord was coming back. It was the day of the Lord. I mean, they were like so thrown off. Their, Their whole life was turned upside down. People started crying. We started getting phone calls and emails. We went from 2 Kings to Isaiah, and we skipped First and Second Chronicles and all these other books in between. What's happening? Do we not believe in the Bible anymore? You know, all kinds of things were going on as people's lives were turned upside down. And uh, so we, we just had to explain that, no, that this Bible project is in a semi-chronological order. And uh, since the books of our Bible are not in chronological order, uh, this is helping us to be. So we are now in the pre-exile prophets. And the reason we didn't do First and Second Chronicles is we will get back to it. But First and Second Chronicles is a recap of Israel's history all the way up until they return from exile. And so we'll get to that in the end. But right now we are in Isaiah, and uh, and I tell you what, you know, my wife, she was reading Isaiah this week because we got into that book. In fact, if you have your Bible or device, you can open up to that today. We're going to be in Isaiah. And she was reading Isaiah, and you know, Isaiah begins, like some of these other books we've been reading, just with Israel's wickedness and the rebellion and their hardness of heart and the injustices that they were perpetuating. And just, it's just more of the same, more of the dark stuff that just has you weighed down. And, and what's really hard is you see some of yourself in it as you're reading it. And she was just reading through it. And she told me, she said, she's just reading along. And all of a sudden, she got to Isaiah chapter 9. And she wasn't expecting it, but all of a sudden, 
the tears just began to flow. And she found herself wrecked emotionally as she started reading about a light coming in the darkness, how the Messiah would come and, and, and would right what is broken and, and restore what is wounded and, and diseased. And, and it just began to seize her emotionally, caught her off guard to begin to read about he would bring justice and righteousness and out of pain and hopelessness, there would be this refreshing beauty of promise and, and life again. And she just began to weep. It was like tears of relief, tears of joy. And then when she began to tell me about it, Say, this happened to me today. Of course, if you know my wife, again, she got emotional, the tears flowed, and she was reliving it. Tears of relief, tears of joy, hope in the darkness. That's Isaiah. I, I think there's, there's going to be some tears today as well. But I don't think it'll be tears of relief or tears of joy, unfortunately. Because we're not in Isaiah chapter 9. We're in Isaiah chapter 1. It is probably one of the most scathing introductions to a book that we have in our Bible. When you open up to Isaiah chapter 1, what we see here is Isaiah, the prophet of God, as God confronts his people Judah in the southern kingdom, and he just comes out swinging. Verse 10, he calls Israel rulers of Sodom, people of Gomorrah. That is not a compliment. If you know history through the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah were punished by God because of their wickedness and their intense evil. And he's saying, my own people, you're Sodom, you're Gomorrah. And then you get to verse 11, and it says, all of these sacrifices that you're bringing me, and you're like, wow, they're really sacrificing a lot for the Lord. That's great. He says, I have no pleasure in them. All these offerings that you bring, we're like, hey, we're into that. We did that last week, Easter offering. He's like, yeah, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your festivals and feasts, you know, the ones I I, I commanded you to participate in and do, and, and now you're doing it, yeah, I hate with all my being. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer and you raise your hands in worship and prayer to me, I hide my eyes from you. I don't even want to look at you. And you read that text in Isaiah 1 and you're like, what's going on? I mean, what's happening? Why is God hiding his eyes from his own people and hating their worship and finding no pleasure in their offerings? And It makes us a little bit concerned because we, as people of God ourselves, who bring offerings and sacrifices and who worship the Lord, I think we ought to know what what is it that makes God so angry, that makes him being repulsed by our worship, what's going on? And it's right here in verses 15 through 28. and, And God says this, because your hands are full of blood, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute? She once was full of justice, righteousness, used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver's become dross, your choice wine is diluted with water, your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes, they chase after gifts. 
They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, oh, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. That is against Jerusalem. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as of the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. Why is God hiding his eyes? Why is he turning away from them and hating their worship and finding no pleasure in their offerings and their sacrifices because of this. Let's start with this, number one, because worship is worthless if you are not doing what is right and seeking justice. When we come to offer our prayers and bring our offerings and worship our God, if we are not seeking justice and doing righteousness, then it is meaningless. It is worthless to the Lord. They were not defending the oppressed. They were not taking up the cause of the fatherless or pleading the case of the widow. It, the, the city was full of injustice, not justice. Rulers, it says, had become thieves. They loved bribes. They loved gifts. They loved gain. But they weren't looking out for those who were in need. The sin of Israel was injustice. That's what was going on. The people of God were being nothing like God. Why should we be passionate about justice? Because God desires it, God commands it, and God punishes those. He punishes those who ignore it. He desires it, he commands it, and he will punish those who ignore it, even if it's own people, his own Israel, his own Jerusalem. He calls them enemies because they could not be further from his heart. They look nothing like him in that moment. The reason we are passionate about justice is because God is passionate about justice. So much so that if we're not seeking it or promoting it, he hates our worship. He calls us his enemies. And maybe this is one of the major reasons why. Because your action or inaction in regard to justice reveals your understanding of who God is. And when God looked at Israel, he said, you don't know me. You don't know me. Shane Wood, in a lecture about biblical justice, said that God is so angry and he's so passionate and he's so forceful with this issue, the issue of justice. It's because God desires for you to reflect his identity and his charge in Isaiah chapter 1 is that his very own people don't understand who he is. They don't get it. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, 2 to 3, he says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The reason God is so upset is they don't know me, they don't know my heart. They don't know even how he was raising them to act. When you act justly, you are partaking in the very identity of God, who he is. And if we do not take up the cause of the poor or the oppressed or the mistreated, then either we don't know our father or we don't love him. And this is the charge that's coming against his people. In fact, Shane Wood said this. He said, when the people who are supposed to represent him to the world distort his image because they don't do what he desires for them to do, it shows his own people have no idea who he is. They are like the, they are like the, um, 
The one who received one talent in the parable that Jesus told, in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. There in that story, Jesus talks about a, a, an owner who gave his stewards, one he gave five talents, one two, and the other one he gave one talent. It, it was a measurement of funds, resources, money, gold, silver. He gave it to them. And the, two, the one with five and the one with two invested it and gained more. And the one with one put it in the ground and did nothing with it. And we often look at that story as an example of what God wants us to do with what we've been given. And, and we, we need to use it and be faithful with that. And while some of that's true, ultimately the main point of that story is not that. The main point is when the owner came back to the one who buried it in the ground and said, why did you not use what was given to you? His answer was he looked at his owner and he said, I knew you were a wicked man who harvested where you do not sow and you gather where you've not scattered seed. And the owner says, if that's who you think I am, I'll take what you have and give it to those who I gave more and then I'll throw you out where there's gnashing and weeping of teeth if that's who you believe me to be. He did not know the owner. He did not know his heart. He didn't know what he was about. He totally misrepresented him and it showed in his actions. Embedded in God's very identity of who he is, is the concept of helping those that no one wants to help. Bringing strength to those who are weak, restoring those who are broken. Justice reflects the very heart and the identity of who our God is at his very core. Which is why in Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen, when God is speaking against Shalom, the son of Josiah, because he was building his palaces of, based on of unrighteousness and, and he was building his upper rooms with slave labor from, of which he was not paying them. God says, this is not the way your father Josiah, who was a righteous king, lived. And God says this through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah twenty two sixteen about Josiah, his father. He says, he defended the cause of the poor and needy Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. At the very root, base level of what it means to know God means that you will act justly and righteously. At the very base level of God's identity of who he is, this is it. This is the foundation of who he is. This is what it means to follow him. Through justice, God is trying to reveal his identity. And that's why we are calling this series that we're starting today, Revealing Justice. We're calling it Revealing Justice because what we're really doing is revealing God's identity. And by revealing God's identity, we now are revealing what justice really is. And in so doing, we'll be able to reveal what we ought to do, how we ought to act, how we ought to look different. Because biblical justice, as we're going to see over the coming weeks, looks very different than secular justice that we see from all the different theories of justice that are out there. It looks very different than that. And you'll probably see that as we go through this series. That if we want to seek the will of God, we first must know the character of God. And if you know the character of God, then you'll be more able to articulate what the will of God is for your life. You'll you'll live like his will. You'll act on his will. You will do what he wants you to do. You will act justly. You will act rightly. The more you tell someone who they are, the less you have to tell them what to do. Because they'll just act 
their behavior will be a reflection of who they are, who their identity is. It, it will flow more naturally out of the outworking of their very identity. And this is why I love so much the fact that we're doing this Bible engagement and we're reading through the scriptures. And we're going to be in Isaiah and these other minor prophets as well. And as we get into these prophets that are pre-exile prophets, you're, you're going to see over and over and over again this theme of justice come up because that's who God is. And as he addresses his people, this is how he wants them to treat others justly rightly. It's the outworking of your identity. And the fact that there's so many texts in our Old Testament scriptures through these prophets that talk about justice. And by the time we get to the New Testament, which by the way, we'll do that at the end of August. We'll be in, in Matthew. The New, I bet some of you are excited about that. You can't wait till the end of August. We get in the New Testament. We get to Matthew. But it's a little disturbing that by the time we get to Matthew, we see God's people still not acting justly or rightly. They didn't listen. They didn't get it. They're not advocating for those who are being mistreated and for the poor and the down down and out. And that should serve as a caution to us that if that can happen to the people of God, can't that happen to us? When we gather as believers, we come together as Christians, we, we belong to this community of faith called the church but we don't look like God. We don't know God. We're not following God and it's evident because we're not acting justly with others. It's a caution to us that we can spend so much time worshiping him and involved in religious activity and still miss his heart and still miss who he is. Back in January, it was January 25th and we were going through our Bible reading and and I hope that when you go to our website, northsidechristianchurch.net slash YBE, stands for Year Bible Engagement, and uh, you see all of our links there, you know, all of the videos are embedded right there that go along with our reading from the Bible Project, which are just incredible. And I remember on January 25th, I saw this video about justice, about God's justice, biblical justice. And I just thought it was so good. And today as we start this new series, and today's message is entitled Defining God's justice, God's justice defined. I, I want us just to let this video kind of help us see what God's justice is like throughout Scripture. So give your attention to the screens. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mates. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. 
But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. 
It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So how would you define biblical justice? It's not the same as the world's definition. In fact, every secular approach to justice that's out there, and there's many different approaches, falls short of God's justice in some way. And whenever I try to define biblical justice, I don't know that you can find just one definition. In fact, several people that I've been reading and looking at says, I don't know if there's one definition for it, but maybe one of these would really resonate with you of how you would describe it. First of all, I liked what the, the, the video said, that biblical justice is courageously making other people's problems your problems. That's a good way to look at it. Here's another way. Biblical justice is about transformation, bringing life where there's death, beauty where there's brokenness. Biblical justice is about loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. Biblical justice is about allowing the old creation to experience new creation in the present, knowing that we're looking forward to the future. Biblical justice is pursuing what is right in God's eyes and reflecting God's heart to people who need love. Biblical justice is imitating Jesus. That's what it looks like. N.T. Wright's definition of justice is it's setting wrongs right. It's setting wrongs right. To act justly is to do what's right in God's eyes. It leads us to right relationships with God and right relationships with others. You know, last week on Easter Sunday, I was encouraging us to look at the resurrection of Jesus and the healings and miracles of Jesus as previews of coming attractions of what the new heaven and the new earth will look like, of the world that is to come, the world that we all want to come. But what I want us to begin to see through this series is that by, because we've been saved by God's grace and we've been transformed by Jesus, we are his people. And because we pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can begin eternal living now, eternal life now. We, we can begin to help the kingdom of God, which is already, even though it's not quite all yet in its future glory, we can begin bringing that kingdom of justice and righteousness here now because we have the Holy Spirit helping us to do that. Our kingdom living starts now, not later. And if God is a God who will set wrongs right and rule with righteousness and justice, then his own people should start advocating for justice and righteousness right now. It's not something we wait for the future. It's something who we are, who God is. So when we identify injustices and we see it around us, we want to seek that which is just. You know, as we were putting this series together, going through the prophets, I couldn't help but think about the fact that this word justice or injustice they become buzzwords. Like, you know, we put it on a banner and it's out at our entrance. So as you pull out of our church, it says, Revealing Justice, 9 and 1030. And I couldn't help but think how many people will be like, Justice. I wonder what they're talking about. They, they hear the word justice and there's something about it that makes people cringe. It makes them think all kinds of things. And it's become this hot buzzword for us that makes us uncomfortable. And it's very unfortunate. I think you start talking about injustices and justice and people say, hey, you're getting political. 
And I'm like, no, we're just now getting biblical. Just because we live in a culture right now, whether it's handled it, it has handled it wrong on both sides in every way, on every front, does not mean we're, we're not going to talk about things that the Bible talks about, especially things that are rooted in the very core identity of who our God is. Maybe the reason our culture mishandles this so bad is because Christians have handled injustice so bad. We've not done well with this. And because of that, not only do we not know what the Bible says, we don't understand what the Bible says, so much so that one of my friends, Brian Jennings, he's a preacher at Highland Park Christian Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if you want to see the history of racial injustice, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and look at the stories that have happened there. So he's in that community, serving in that community. And one of his friends was preaching on Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Corey Scott is going to preach on that in a couple weeks. We'll get to that text as we get to it in our Bible engagement. We'll get to that text. He preached on the text. It was even quoted in the video. And when he got done, he had a church member come up to him and just lay into him about how dare him at a time like this to preach a sermon about justice. You must be one of those Marxists. That's what he was told. Which clearly tells me this is a person who I don't know who they're listening to, what they're listening to. I don't know what algorithms their social media feed is just feeding them into, taking them into deep and darker places. But it's clearly not the Bible. He was preaching scripture. He was preaching the Bible. And because of that, I I really believe it's frustrating when questions that are very biblical are taken over by the political realm and somehow we're not allowed to ask them. Or we're not allowed to talk about them, either because it sounds too much like a donkey or too much like an elephant. And here's what's going to happen. As we go through this series of biblical justice and listen to the prophets who are speaking on the behalf of God, every single one of you in here, no matter what political party you belong to, is going to go, I'm not sure that aligns with my party platform. And you would be correct. No party platform is the kingdom of God. No secular definition of justice is. And what we're going to find as the people of God is we need to be aligned biblically and quit trying to align ourselves so hard politically wherever it falls. And the reason for this is because justice is foundational to who God is. And so I want us to be able to grow in this together over the next several weeks. Just because people misuse a word or abuse it doesn't mean we're going to throw out whole sections of the Bible because of how some people have addressed justice in the past. We need to bring it into a biblical framework, a spiritual framework. Justice is a core teaching of Scripture and of of the Word of God. And I think, unfortunately for us, we've really missed God's identity when it comes to justice. We've missed this. We've missed advocating for biblical justice in so many different realms. Maybe we can bring some of this out in coming weeks. But we've done it so much so that it even feels or or sounds strange when we see someone doing something that would be the equivalent of what God's heart is. Shane Wood and his wife, Sarah, Shane tells this story of when they got married for the first five of their six years of marriage, there was someone else that was living in their home. 
that was using one of their bedrooms. That was an empty bedroom. Obviously, this person needed a place to stay, and it was a, a difficult situation. And so they were giving them a place to stay. He said one time they were with their family, and one of their Christian family members asked Shane's wife. I don't know if it was clear whether this was uh, being serious or it was supposed to be funny, but here was the statement that was made. Do you not like your husband? You always feel like you've got to have someone else around? That was the comment. In other words, to this person, it seemed really strange that they would let someone live with them in their home. And the question that Shane was asking is why, when we are doing something, acting justly or rightly, doing what's in the heart of God, why does that seem foreign to Christians? Why does that seem strange unless we haven't been acting justly? Why does that seem weird to us? It shouldn't seem odd when we make other people's problems our problems. It shouldn't feel strange or foreign to us when we're doing what God would have us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because justice is foundational to who God is. Look at these scriptures. Isaiah 28, 16 through 17. You'll get there in your Bible reading where where God says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. This is foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. In Psalm 89, 13 through 15, about the Lord, it tells us, your arm is endowed with power, your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. It seems like the foundation would be pretty important, doesn't it? The foundation, the very thing upon which your throne sits, that it is founded on, is justice and righteousness. Love and faithfulness go before you, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. And that really is our goal of the next several weeks. We want to learn what it looks like to walk in the light and in the presence of God, according to his very identity, the foundation of his throne, in justice and in righteousness. What does that look like as we allow the word of God to speak into our hearts? We want that to lead us, for that to guide us. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing that. Next week, we'll talk about God's justice applied. The week after that, it'll be God's justice corrupted. After that, it'll be God's justice working. At the end, a couple of weeks after that, it'll be God's justice questioned, as Habakkuk questions God's justice. And we're going to be looking at all of these things. Why? Because if we want our worship to be pure and faultless, if we want God, God to turn his ear to us and to not turn his face away, we're going to have to act rightly and with justice. It's his very identity. It's what he's calling us to be as his people. And we're going to allow those prophets to speak into our hearts as well. Maybe that's why God blessed so much our Easter offering this year. I can't help but think of several of those initiatives that really are acts of justice. For example, rescuing children in India who've been sold into slavery to think that one day a little boy or a little girl might come up and say, I was set free. I went from darkness into light because that's what God wanted for that child. And you... Aligned yourself with the heart of God and you acted justly. 
And that's a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. That's a, that's a picture of what, not only what is to come, but what we can begin to do right now. When I think about some steps maybe you could take, I know this was mentioned in our Next Steps video, but the, the 2022 True Charity Summit is coming to Northside. We're, we're the host site for this. They're expecting probably a couple hundred people to be here, and so we're hoping for that as well. Because you are a, a member here at Northside, and because we're hosting, you get a discount. So there's a discount code that you can use, 22SUMMITNCC. We'll get you a, a 10% off to come to that conference. I think it's on a Friday, Saturday. It, 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 or no, 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 Thursday, Friday, I think. It's May 19th and 20th. Check your calendars on that. But I want to invite you to come. I'll be attending. Some of the people from our staff will be attending. We're excited about this. Um, Water Gardens out of Joplin is, is d- deeply ingrained and, and a part of this. I know Victory Mission and others will be here that we support as well. About how do we bring justice to those who are in poverty, and uh, especially the situations that are happening in our community. How do we do this in a way that's God-honoring and helpful to people? And uh, so it was in your email this week. If you want information on that, look at your email. It's there. And if you didn't get an email, contact our office. We'll we'll send you an email. Um, The other thing I want to mention, the Pregnancy Care Center. One of the things I loved about the video, it talked about how giving a voice to those who have no voice. That's what Pregnancy Care Center does. It helps women specifically in crisis and who are in pregnancy and, and uh, helps families in significant ways. Well, on May 6th, from 6 to 8 at the Oasis Convention Center, that is their biggest fundraiser banquet of the year, speaking this year. And I'm not able to attend because I'll be speaking at another event. But Dr. Alveda C. King, this is the niece of Martin Luther King uh, Jr. She's the executive director of Civil Rights for the Unborn. And she's obviously been a part of civil rights as well. And she's going to be speaking. And, and I, I just think it's going to be powerful. I'm going to encourage you to go there. Also, uh, Leslie, she's 21 years old and found herself in an unexpected pregnancy. Her boyfriend left her. No family here. And at 20 weeks of pregnancy, found the Pregnancy Care Center. And that's become a, a life source for her and someone who's bringing about justice and righteousness and help in her journey. And I would love for you to hear her story as well. Those would be two things right here in our community that would help us do better at this. Just two simple things. In the coming weeks, we're going to give a lot more action steps about what that would look like because God is calling us to this. This is who he is. This is what he desires of us that we would do it in this way. You know, one of the things I can't help but think about, I, I think about my wife who was reading through Isaiah, and when she got to some hope, she was just like my wife normally is, which is just <laughs> like that. And um, I was thinking about that, and I told you uh, that was coming in chapter 9, which is true. But here's what I haven't really pointed out yet, and I just want to bring it to our attention. There is some hope in chapter 1, too. In a chapter that may be one of the most scathing attacks against God's people. There is this text right in the middle of this, of chapter 1. Where God pauses and here's what he says to his people. Come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. If you're willing, if you're obedient, if you'll submit to my ways and you'll, your heart will beat like my heart and your identity will be 
wrapped up in my identity, those sins that are so red, crimson, scarlet, stained, they'll become white as snow. You'll be forgiven. You'll be healed so that you can go and you can offer love and grace and justice and righteousness to others just as I am. And that is my prayer for you today, that God, for every one of us, we would live in righteousness and justice just as you are righteous and just. God, I pray our heart would beat like your heart. I pray that we would have ears to hear. We would have eyes to see the needs around us, those who are mistreated, those who are wounded, those who are hurting. God, help us to have the grace that you have. Help teach us. Teach us what this means. Convict us of our sin and align us with your heart. We pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand to your feet today, if there's a decision to be made and you're in this room, I'd love to meet you right over here at Decision Point. If you're watching online, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision just to begin a conversation. Maybe for you today, you, you would like to just pray with someone, talk to someone. Maybe you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. You want to know what that means. We'd love to talk to you now. Let's do that as we see. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.